Well, I'm excited about diving into God's Word today. Mark chapter 12, verse 35. But before we do that, um, today's Family Worship Sunday, but it's also Memorial Day weekend. And I just want to start by acknowledging on this Memorial Day weekend that we are grateful as a church for the many people who have laid their lives down serving this wonderful country. And at the same time, we grieve together with any of you who might have a family member who died while serving in the U.S. Armed Services. So happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, And also, welcome to Family Worship Sunday. Why do we do this? We do it four times a year. Uh, We do this quarterly. uh, And we do this so that we can bless those who are faithfully serving the next-gen ministries with a Sunday off. Now, here's what I want to do, okay? If you serve in our kids ministry, our student ministry, or our special needs ministry, our access ministry, would you just stand to your feet? Because today you have the day off, and we just want to honor you on the day off. If you serve in any capacity in those ministries, go ahead and stand to your feet. There you go. We honor you today. We thank God for you and your service. Come on, everybody. We praise God for you, and uh, we thank you for your faithful service. Uh, We also do this because we want to bless our church with worship that includes all generations together. And I use that word bless intentionally. You might think that's a strange word, Britton, but it's actually not. Because today we have this unique opportunity, which the Bible gives a high value on, on the people of God worshiping together men, women, and children of all ages. And so worship is not just limited to a specific age group or an ability level, it should be all of us coming together to lift up our voices to praise our great God. And not just lift up our voice, but to submit our lives under His voice, the Word of God, as we look to the Word of God. So if you have a child here today and they make a little extra noise or they have a full-blown meltdown, listen, that's part of the blessing of Family Worship Sunday. So you just feel really comfortable. We feel really comfortable in the midst of that moment. If you have a special needs family member and they make various noises or they need to take a step out and, and just get, uh, get in a position where they can enter back in, totally fine. However this works, today is Family Worship Sunday. We do it once a quarter, and we think this is, is really awesome. So are you guys ready to dive into God's Word? Mark chapter 12, and even as we turn our attention to God's Word, I have uh, what you definitely need on Family Worship Sunday, which is a pretty awesome illustration, okay? One author has said that, that oftentimes Jesus' words They're not like soft candy, but they're hard candy. Parents, do you see where I'm going with this illustration? Kids, you're about to get really excited. I'm actually going to invite two of our kids up here because I want to make this illustration that sometimes Jesus' words are like hard candy. They're not like soft candy. So, Corky boys, come on up here. Join me. I have a treat. I I went and raided my boys' uh, candy and I have something here. I don't know why in the world my, my son needs this many gummy bears. Are you guys, are y'all fans of gummy bears? Hmm? Do you like gummy bears? You don't like gummy bears? Well, this is not going to be a good illustration then. Can we get a Hershey Kisses for next uh, service, please? Okay. Are you a big fan of, of gummy bears? Somewhat? Sort of. All right, sort of. So here's what I want to do. You can tell a lot uh, about a person by what color of gummy bear they pick. So why don't you go ahead and take one of those gummy bears and then I want to, yeah, you could, oh, you go green and, and gold. Okay. And you're going to grab one. He's got green. 
He's got green. We both are going green. Y'all go ahead and eat that. And uh, you, you pretty much instantly get the taste, do you not? And then you get the taste, you chew it up, and then it's kind of gone, right? That didn't take long at all, did it? So Jesus' teachings oftentimes are not like gummy bears. It, you can't just bust into it and it immediately give you the flavor and then it goes away. In fact, Jesus' teachings are more like, does anybody know what these are? What is it? That's a jawbreaker, all right? So what happens if you try to eat this thing really, really fast? You might choke. Your, your parents have a high dental bill, you know? But I have something else, okay? I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before, uh, but this is actually another jawbreaker. How long do you think that bad boy would take to eat? Uh, like 24 hours. 24 hours? What do you think? Maybe 24 days? So this, I'm not going to allow you to lick it because we actually still need this for the 11 o'clock worship gathering, and that would be kind of disgusting. But the point of the matter is, is that gummy bear went quick, did it not? And so when any kid eats a gummy bear, the, 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 the taste is there, and then it's over. But you put one of these in your mouth, you're going to have to sit there for a little while until the sweetness and the yumminess of this actually begins to settle into your mouth. In a lot of ways, that's like the teachings of Jesus. Can we give these boys a huge round of applause? Thank you so much for being up here. So today we're going to be looking at some words of Jesus. And uh, a heads up for all of us, uh, these words are sometimes hard to understand. But also, Jesus is going to say some things that are hard on us when we do understand it. And that's where we're going is Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And what I hope is that we slow down and let these words speak to us. And that we would experience an increasing beauty and truth from Jesus' words as we slow down. And that beauty and that truth is going to be Jesus himself. So Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Let me read these verses for us, verses 35 through 40. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And a great throng heard him gladly. And in his teachings, he said, beware of the scribes who, are like, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings uh, in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So for months now, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark and we're seeing each and every week, the utter unique person of Jesus Christ. There is no one else like him in all of history. Billions of people have come and billions have gone. And when you look at Jesus, you see a person who is utterly unique. And to be clear, what we are reading in the Gospel of Mark is not legend or myth that evolved over hundreds of years after the fact. No, there's 
actually historical and archaeological evidence, an abundance of evidence that proves that what we're reading, what we just read, was written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses. So we've seen the utterly unique person of Jesus in each and every passage. And, and re- recently, we've been in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And it's been awesome because we've seen Jesus checking those who are trying to take him out. The religious leaders, the religious elite who are powerful and well-positioned uh, are threatened by Jesus. It, earlier in this, in this narrative, Jesus has stepped into the temple and he's asserted his authority. He's turned over the tables. He's called out people, called out the religious leaders. And, and now the religious leaders are upset and they're looking around like, who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? And now what they're trying to do is trip him up, and they've tried to do so by them asking him trap questions. You guys tracking with me? We've been doing this for the past couple of weeks. These trap questions came about by a political trap, and then there was this theological trap, and then there's this religious trap. And each time Jesus fields these questions, serves up an answer that silences his opposition, and at the same time, listen, requires each and every one of us to examine our own lives in light of relationship with him. And so I hope that's what happens today for each of us. We slow down and we examine our own lives in relationship to who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. So we finished up the last week's passage by a statement that Mark writes in verse 34. He says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus has prevailed. He's beaten the field. He's put these guys in check. Now, question for you, especially you kids. Does anybody have a bully at school? Anybody know a bully at school? I don't know how bullies roll in 2023, but in the 1980s, these guys were big, massive, and did some damage, okay? I don't know where our teachers were when it was time to go to the playground, but in the 80s, they they just sent us out to the playground, and next thing you know, there's a bully just terrorizing everybody on on the playground. And you're just, as a kid, you're just looking down, and you don't want to make eye contact with bully because you don't want to have a personal encounter with him, so you just keep looking down. But you're really growing agitated because this bully just is wreaking havoc. And then something happens. Someone comes and finally puts this bully in check. They shut him down, and the bullying is no more. And in a lot of ways, this is what's happened in Mark chapter 12. The bully, these religious elites have been uh, have been checked. And now, after fielding their questions and silencing them, it's Jesus' turn. He's got the mic. And he goes on the offensive. And what he's going to do is so important for us today. And I want to give you an outline of what he's going to do. In these verses, he's going to use a question. He's going to use a riddle to give us a commendation. He's going to commend himself to us. He's going to, he's going to communicate who he is in the form of a riddle. And then he's going to expose publicly these scribes, and he's going to give us a very important caution. And through both of those, I hope we slow down and consider our own life in relationship to him. So a question commending, a teaching of caution, both resulting in us today considering our life in relationship to him. So kids, does anybody like a riddle? Anybody, any of the kids, you're like, you're just really good at riddles, okay? So here we go. I got a few of them for you today. The riddle that I have for you, the first riddle, 
of three, and it's going to progressively get better, okay? So hold on there with me. What two things can you never eat for breakfast? What two things can you never eat for breakfast? I heard somebody say it. What was it? Lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. You see that? That's a riddle. So you're having to use kind of your brain power. You're having to think outside the box a little bit to get the answer to this question. You guys ready for the next one? You're smart. I like how you're going on this. But let's see if you go the next level down. You got to think outside the box on this one. What tastes better than it smells? Pie? That's a, that's a very uh, interesting answer. A tongue. A tongue, okay? A tongue actually tastes better than it smells. It always has, it always will. Okay, you guys ready for the next one? What is green and fuzzy, and if it falls out of a tree and it hits you, it can in fact kill you? It's green and it's fuzzy, and if it falls out of a tree and it hits you, you're in big trouble. Everybody's looking at me like, I don't know what it is. I know you don't. You know what it is? A pool table. A pool table. It's green. It's fuzzy. You tracking with me? That's a good riddle, right? I'll dial up some more for the 11 o'clock. Here we go, okay? In this passage today, what we're looking at, Jesus gives us a riddle. And the riddle is not intended to be humorous. The riddle is intended to help us know who he is And his identity is important to us because it's how we relate to him. The riddle starts in verse 35. It says, and and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? This is a riddle about Jesus's identity. And really quickly, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. Remember, this is a few days away from him going to the cross and bearing the sins of the world. And here he is publicly. The stakes have never been higher. He knows in a few days he will be hung on a cross, and he goes for it all to help us understand who he is, to not miss out on the important answer to the very good riddle Who is Jesus? The answer to that riddle is actually incredibly important for each of us. And he starts with common ground. He says, how can the scribes say the Christ is the son of David? Now, everyone would have believed that during that day. It was a very commonly held belief that the Christ is the son of David. It was a a popular, in fact, a popular belief today among Orthodox Jews, that the Messiah would come through the lineage of King David. We, called it the, we call it the Davidic sonship of the Messiah. That's a big theological phrase for you. Uh, and it was clearly established in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, it's prophesied to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's what he's saying to King David. It also refers to this in Isaiah. All throughout the Old Testament, it is communicated that the Messiah would be a human descendant of David. Now, most people are, are tracking with Jesus in that day. You might not be tracking right now because you're like, Britain, what's the big deal about this? Who really cares about Messiah's lineage? This is important for you to understand, okay? 
you need to understand the truth claims of Jesus, especially if you're newer to the faith. The truth claims of Jesus didn't just pop out of thin air. They're not something that is rooted in a new thing. The truth claims of Jesus were a fulfillment of an old thing. It was a fulfillment of the old thing. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the fulfillment of long-standing prophecies and longings from God's people. The Messiah was foretold for hundreds and hundreds of years in many different ways by different prophets that he would come through the line of David and would restore and rule God's people. The Messiah would be a human descendant of King David. So far, so good. Everybody's tracking with Jesus, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 36 and he says, David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And there's the riddle. There's the riddle. The riddle is how can Messiah be both David's son and David's Lord? And you know what that scribe's answer to that riddle was? Exactly. Quiet. No answer. Like, I, I don't even know. And this is, this is remarkable because Jesus is quoting Psalm 110 in verse 36. He says, and I want you to track how Jesus uses the word of God. Kids, this is so important. And this is why we teach you God's word every single week in kids' ministry and why our student ministry is built around imparting gospel truth, the word of God, into these students. For our, our, our families with special needs, it's all built around and built upon the word of God. Listen to what Jesus does. He says in verse 36, and David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, and then he quotes Psalm 110. And that's a stark contrast from the religious elite who are claiming to represent God. Here is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is perfectly revealing God. And Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you what your opinion is. I'm asking you what God has declared. And God has used a human author. God has used a human agent, but he has spoken. He has declared something. And I'm asking you, what does... God say, and here's the religious experts of the day, and one question by Jesus leaves them silent. But the answer to that today is of utmost importance to you and me. And this is where you need to be thinking about a big, massive jawbreaker in your, in your mouth. Because you're like, Britain, there's a lot of things I could be doing on Memorial Day weekend right now. And we're talking about some ancient Messiah and lineage of David. What does this have to do with me? The jawbreaker. Here it is. The Messiah is not only descendant of David, but the Messiah is the divine Son of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to each and every one of us today, I am more than a human leader, I'm more than your life coach. I'm more than a means to get a nice little good family. I'm so much more than that. I'm more than a prophet. I'm more than a great philosopher. I'm more than a religious teacher. I am the divine son of God. He's not a God. He's the God. He's not a king. He's the king. He's not a Lord. He's Lord over all. That's 
who he is. That's his identity, and it's critically important for us to wrap our minds and our hearts around that truth today. And this Jesus, not a God, but the God, is on a rescue mission to seek and to save that which is lost, to come to redeem and to restore broken people and bring us back to God. So how can Messiah be both David's son and David's Lord? Because Messiah is both descendant of David and the divine son of God. So let's slow down right here. Because some of you have already got your mind on some barbecue later today or tomorrow, and you, I can see it in your face. You're not tracking. So I want to slow it down and let the jawbreaker in our mouth bring about a very important taste and it is this it is a question for every single one of us today does jesus the messiah rule and reign over your life kids is jesus the ruler and the one who reigns over your life And before you too quickly answer that question, remember, parents, adults, what did it say about the great throng of people when he said this? They heard him gladly. Are you guys tracking with me? This jawbreaker is starting to give some flavor, is it not? The crowds loved what they heard. The crowds were loving what they heard. They gladly heard him that day. But do you understand that in a few days, they would cry very loudly, crucify him. Do away with him. And so we can quickly come into a space like this and sing our songs and pray our prayers and listen to the sermon and bust out of there. And Jesus is a means to an end at best. And Jesus is saying to us today, I'm not a means to an end. I am the ultimate end. I am Lord. I am King. I am the divine Son of God. So let me ask each of us, every generation today, what Jesus commands do you obey? Where he leads, do you follow? Does your life show evidence that you're growing to be more and more like him? Is he ruling and reigning over your life? So through a riddle, he commends his identity. He's the descendant of David, and he's the divine son of God. Now he goes full-on attack mode to these scribes. In verse 38, he picks up, and he gives us a dire warning, a caution for us to consider today. He says in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues in the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. If Jesus was implicitly calling people out earlier, he's now going full-on confrontation with them. And he says to anyone who is listening, beware of the scribes. 
You guys need to listen up. You need to beware of these people. And he gives, I believe, four stinging rebukes of the scribes. He says they like walking around in long robes. They wore these long-length prayer shawls and tassels attached to the four corners. But listen, the problem wasn't what they wore. The problem was why they wore it. The problem wasn't that they were wearing prayer shawls. The The problem was why they were wearing that in public. And the rebuke number one was, for these guys, appearance was more important than authenticity. The appearance of spirituality was more important to them than them authentically having a relationship with the glory of God. They appeared holy, but they proved to be something else when you got to know them. He goes on, he says, they like greetings in the marketplace. They loved these greetings in the marketplace. They would walk down the road, and everyone in the road, except for the laborers who were working with their hands, would have to stand up and give greetings to this, these religious leaders. They had to give greetings, and, and they liked this. They loved the recognition of man more than they loved God. They loved the recognition of man more than they loved God. He goes on, he says, they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. Beware of these guys because they gladly receive preferential treatment. They think they're better than everybody else, and they gladly receive this preferential treatment. They love the best seats, the seats of honor, and it was to show, those seats were to show just how important they were, just how religiously committed they were. They demanded preferential treatment even with a callous disregard to the poor. And that's what he's saying when he says they devour widows' houses. You're like, Britton, what does that mean? Well, back in those days, the scribes were not just a part of the wealthy class. They actually lived off of and depended on the gifts of worshipers. And so they exploited their esteem in culture and demanded and received great gifts from others, and they devoured widows' houses by demanding this. In fact, would lead them to to think that if you give X amount, then this will earn you some merit in your relationship with God. They weren't serving the poor and the vulnerable. They were using the poor and the vulnerable. They gladly receive preferential treatment. And then he says, and for a pretense, they make long prayers. They were out to be impressive. They were out to show themselves just how impressive they were religiously. Even in their prayers, they were trying to win accolades. If you would give them a mic, they could wow you with these long prayers. And guess what? It was all for show. It was all for show. But make no mistake about it, an impressive outward appearance hides nothing to the divine Son of God. He knows our hearts. He knew the hearts of the scribes, and he knows the heart of every single one of us in here today. It reminds me of a story of a friend of mine in the Middle East. We're sitting there enjoying a meal together one day, and he looks up and he says, You know, I almost joined Al-Qaeda, 
and I put my utensil down, and I said, uh, we're going to have to talk about that a little bit more. I said, can you explain? He said, yeah, a few, a few years ago, in the rise of Al-Qaeda, there was some old religious leaders that came through my city, and they gathered some young people together, and they brought us out, and they started doing training, and they tried to convince us that if we were to join Al-Qaeda and go join this fight, that if and when something happens to us, we would get paradise. We would earn the greatest paradise you could ever imagine. And he said, a lot of my friends joined that fight and they lost their lives. And I said, well, what happened to you? And he said, one day it hit me. I'm looking at these guys telling me that I should go do that. And then I look at them and realize they're not willing to go do that. And he said, this was a sham. And I pulled back. And I'm thinking about that this week. As I realize there's a hint of this sin in the scribes in my own life. And, and I was humbled by this. I was pleading for God's mercy. But then God was graciously lifted up my eyes to see Jesus. Because what was juxtaposed was these scribes who he's calling out. And guess who was standing right there next to the scribes? Jesus. And Jesus doesn't look at people and call them to do hard things that he doesn't, is not willing to do himself. Jesus is not there showing appearance and the whole thing there is hollow. There's something that is so sweet and so true and so beautiful about Jesus as it's juxtaposed to these scribes. And here's where I want to end today. Jesus, listen, Jesus was not about appearance. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, though he was in the form of God, think about it, the divine son of God was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Praise Jesus. He's not some religious leader that's telling you to go do something he's unwilling to do. And he's not sitting there telling you, and leading you to think that he's something that at the core of his being, he's not. At the core of his being, he's not about appearance. He's on a rescue mission. He's not about recognition. He was not about recognition. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love this. These scribes would not lift a pinky finger to help somebody in need. And when you're in need, Jesus moves towards you and it activates who he is. He's there to serve. He's not there for recognition. He's there so that he can draw you in to right relationship with God. And here's the most important part. He was not here for preferential treatment. In fact, he endured the most vile mistreatment. He became sin for us. This is who Jesus is. Kids, teenagers, adults, think about who Jesus is. Let the jawbreaker get down to that sweet center and just bring about this beauty and this truth and this joy that is only found in Jesus. The perfect son of God took on the sins of the world so that any of us who look to him and trust in his finished work on the cross could have his perfect righteousness. Not appearance, but deep down inside, at the core of your being, 
you could experience the righteousness of God in Christ. What a God. What a Savior. This is who Jesus is. He commends his identity to us by giving us a riddle. And then he cautions us with the scribes. He says, beware. There's greater condemnation for these guys. And at the same time, the whole point of the passage is that you would see Jesus. You'd be drawn to him, the beauty and the truth and the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Amen? With that said, let's close with a word of prayer. I want to lead us in response, and I want to ask DJ and Jess to come on back up. Even as they come up, I just want to ask you to bow your head and just close your eyes. And I just want to ask you, just for a moment, to respond to that prompt, the question of the day. Is Jesus ruling and reigning your life? Have you turned from your own sin and self and trusted in him? And if you have done that, is there an area of your life that you tend to hold on to and you don't give him ruling opportunity in your own life? Would you just go before our great Savior and Lord and surrender everything to him in response to today's sermon?